Well, good morning, East Campus. It's uh, really good to be back up here with you. It's been a minute since I've been here. I think uh, the last time I was here was actually around Christmas last year. Uh, they've just been like keeping me down in Bedford. We, uh, we moved to Sunday morning uh, back in the spring. And so we've been staying really busy. I just wanted to give a quick update. You know, so many folks, as I've been up here throughout the week, uh, you've caught me in the hall. Uh, you're just curious, hey, how are things going in Bedford? How are things going in Bedford? Uh, well, man, I'm so excited to, to let you know, since we shifted to Sunday morning, our adult attendance has more than doubled and our kids' ministry attendance has quadrupled. And so pray for us because we've got a lot of kids. <laughs> Praise God. Got a lot of kids, got a lot of new folks who are finding their way back to faith. It's not just that they're like moving from one church to ours because now it's more convenient. Uh, we have folks who are coming to faith. We had three baptisms a couple of weeks ago. We're gonna have a couple more this next Sunday. Uh, God's really moving and we feel so blessed to be a part of Sherwood Oaks. East, West, Bedford, Glacius Manor, we are one church in many locations, and God is building his kingdom um, through you. So I'm proud of that and look forward to seeing what he has uh, in store for us. But today, as we dive into our sermon, uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with humble and grateful hearts for what you're doing, not just in our lives, not just in our church, in our communities, and really throughout the world because of the influence of Sherwood Oaks and Jesus, how you are working and moving through a church that is faithful to you. And I pray that, Lord, today we will be faithful to your word, that, God, you will speak through me to our hearts and that we will be open to the work, God, that only you and your Holy Spirit can do. So, Father, would you, as a loving, caring Father, would you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I'll never forget the first and uh, I'm pretty sure only time um, I cussed in front of my mom. Uh, <laughs> something like that kind of sticks with you, right? I was probably a sophomore or junior in high school. My little brother had just come home. He was all distraught, I mean, almost in tears because some kids in our neighborhood had been picking on him. And like, so as the older brother, my anger just began to, to boil and rise up in me. And I wanted to come to fence uh, for, for Chad. And, and, and even though at that point he was already bigger and stronger than I was, I'm like, I'm the older brother. I need to do something about this. And, and so in my anger, um, I let a word fly, and as it was coming out of my mouth, it's one of those moments where I'm like, no, you know, trying to catch it and pull it back in, but it was too late. It just hung there, kind of like echoed off of the walls in our living room. And my little brother, whom like I'm trying to protect and come to his defense in this moment, he looks at me and starts laughing. And I look at him like, did that word really just come out of my mouth? And then we look at mom. And mom is, to her credit, trying to hold back a smile, but also trying to figure out, what did I just hear? <laughs> have you ever said something that like, as it's coming out of your mouth, you had that moment? Done something that you're like, whoa, I have no idea where that came from. Something that like, you, you cover your mouth and you're like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Like, I thought that my filter was a little bit stronger than that. I have no idea where that came from. Maybe we've all done something or said something. We've all had moments where we felt, or maybe the, the people around us were wondering, where in the world did that come from? Well, the Bible tells us that it came from our heart. 
Like it, it came from our heart. The things that we say, the things that we do, things that reside in our heart is eventually going to come out of our mouth or it's going to come out in our, our actions. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4. He's writing this book of wisdom to his son. He wants to provide and protect for him. And, and so he gives them all of this, this wisdom. And, and listen to what he says, Proverbs 4, 23. He says, above all else. And so in other words, like everything that I'm about ready to tell you, Everything that you hear, that you learn from me, all the wisdom in the world, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from the heart. Your heart is the wellspring of your life. The things that we say, the direction of our life, the way that we act and live and behave. Solomon says that everything we do flows out of our hearts. And so if there's anger in our hearts, then you better believe it's not going to be very long until anger comes out in our words. For anger comes out in our, our actions. It's because anger resides in our hearts and whatever in our hearts is eventually going to come out. If there's pride in our hearts, it's eventually going to come out. And like our actions may appear to be very humble, but if pride is the genesis of it, then it's not going to take long for people to see right through us. Whatever is in your heart is eventually going to come out in your words. It's going to come out in your actions. And so we must guard our hearts, as Solomon tells us to do. Fortunately, the Bible has a lot of wisdom for us in this. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I'm going to invite you to turn to another passage with me. Actually, a couple that we're going to look at today. The first one is Genesis chapter 3. That one's really easy to find. You just open it up and turn three chapters in. Genesis chapter 3. So put a finger in, in that reference. And then flip over almost towards the end to James chapter 5. Genesis 3 and James Chapter 5. We're in the, the third week of our series called Guard Your Hearts. And during the series, we have been, we've been looking at these emotional habits that want to reside in our heart and how they begin to affect and influence our relationships. And we call them habits because, like, really, that's what they are. And maybe you've experienced that in your life. If you find yourself angry in one relationship, then you, like, kind of take it out on everybody else. Like, anger just kind of comes out in, in every other relationship. If you're jealous in one, you have, like, jealousy just becomes a habit that you, that you live with. And so we've been exploring how can we break these emotional habits before they break our relationships, or before they turn around and break yet another relationship. And so last week, we looked at the emotional habit of anger, and we found that anger says, you owe me. You owe me. Show me an angry person, and I will show you a person who has been hurt and feels like something is owed to them. They feel like something has been taken or stolen from them. And what we discovered last week is that the only cure for an angry heart, the only way to guard our heart against anger settling in and taking root is forgiveness. That's really hard and it's messy, but it's the only thing that is going to cure the anger in our heart. So this week we're turning our attention to the emotion of Guilt and, and if anger says, you owe me, guilt turns that around and says, I owe you. 
See, the reason we feel guilty is because we feel like we need to make up or pay back for what it is that we have taken from someone else through our actions. It's why we use words like, hey, listen, I think I owe you an apology. Or, or sometimes we feel guilty because we have placed an unnecessary burden on someone else that now they have to carry. And so we feel like we owe them to come alongside them and say, hey, is there anything I can do to make up for what it is that I've done to you? Is there anything I can do to make up for how I, I hurt you? We, we use this language of debt, debtor, because we feel like we are obligated to pay for something that we have taken away from them because of our guilt. In fact, every wrong that we do can be restated as an act of theft. We take something away from a person when we hurt them. We take away their sense of security and trust. We, we may take away experiences from them like family dinners and tucking them in at bed. And there's a moment where we come face to face with the, the damage that we have done because of our actions. And in that moment, when we really feel it, we feel the weight of guilt. One of the heaviest weights of guilt for many men that they carry with them is an addiction to pornography. Like their wife may not even know about it, but he knows and he knows that it is robbing their marriage of intimacy. Guys, if you're sitting here struggling with that, you know the weight of that. I want you to know you don't have to walk alone through it. Because what happens is that that addiction robs our marriages of intimacy and suddenly guilt and shame become these dark clouds that just kind of hover over our relationship. No matter what you've done or what you feel like you have taken from someone else, if you don't do something about your feelings of guilt, they will settle into your heart and before you know it, they will become the lens through which you look at yourself. Like now you begin to carry this guilt with you from one relationship to the next, from, from your work to your home. Everything that you see is shaded by the lens of guilt. And it becomes defining for you. Here's the thing. We were never meant to live with guilt. We were never meant to live with guilt. Like in God's original design, when, when everything was perfect, when everything was exactly the way that he intended it to be, there was no sin, there was no brokenness, and because there was no sin and no brokenness, then I'm telling you, there was no guilt, there was no shame, there was no anger, there was no regret, Look at what we read in the very beginning, Genesis chapter two, verse 25, just go up one, one verse. This is what this world was described like. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt no shame. And I'm, I'm, I don't think that this verse is just talking about their physical nakedness. I think that there is an emotional nakedness here. I think that they are not hiding anything from the other person. It is the freedom of fully knowing and fully being known because there is nothing between us. There's no secrets. There's nothing that we're trying to hide. There is an openness that breeds an incredible intimacy. And Adam and Eve got to experience that with one another and with God. But then... 
We get to chapter three. Sinners into the world and everything changes. Eve with her husband standing right behind her is tempted. They both eat of the fruit. They disobey God. And for the very first time, we see a pattern of guilt and shame that many of us are all too familiar with. The first thing that we do in this pattern of guilt and shame is we hide. We get scared that if they knew us, they wouldn't love us, and we hide. Feel guilty for something that we've done. Our first tendency is to cover it up. It's to downplay it. Like it wasn't really that big of a deal, even as we look at the carnage right before us that's left by our actions. Look at Genesis chapter three, verse seven with me. We go from Adam and Eve, both naked and feeling no shame. They sin. And now here are the consequences. Verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first thing that we see is that they hide from each other. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the gardens. Now they're hiding from from God as if you can do that, but we think that we can sometimes. Like we think if we just run, if we just avoid church, if we just avoid our parents who are believers, like if we can just hide from them, then maybe we can also hide from God. But God in his love and his grace, he seeks us out when we're hiding just as he does with Adam and Eve. God among the trees in the garden, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He went searching for them. Because the first thing that we do when we feel guilty is we go and we hide. We hide from ourselves. We hide from others. We hide from God. Sin makes us isolate. Sin makes us want to hide in a corner that is dark and feel like we are all alone. But when that stops working and our sin eventually comes to the light, and let me tell you, I have... It's one of the truths I see over and over and over is that undealt with sin almost always comes to the light. And when it does, we can't hide anymore. A lot of people move to step two in this, which is we blame others. We begin pointing fingers and trying to justify our actions. Verse 11 God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Like, you can't hide anymore. So this is how they respond. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Now, Adam is not making any friends here. He is blaming both God and his wife. Like, we know that is not a wise move, right? (laughs) The woman that you put here gave it to me. Well, then Eve, she doesn't do a whole lot better. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And kind of underneath all of that is, hey, God, the serpent, you remember that you put here deceived me. There's all of this pointing of fingers going on. There's there's all of this shirking of responsibility Because when we can't hide any longer, we start to blame others. We point the finger at anyone and everyone except for ourselves. And when we do that, I'm telling you, our relationships will suffer. The more you hide, the more you blame, the more you justify, the more your relationships are going to suffer. 
Because guilt drives us away from experiencing the love and the joy and the life that God intends for our relationships. And so Adam and Eve were, were banned from the garden. Their relationship with God was broken. But there was also some damage done in their relationship with each other. I mean, imagine the walk back home for Adam and Eve in that moment. <laughs> Like Adam had just thrown God and his wife underneath the bus. I'm telling you, there probably was not a lot of be fruitful and multiply and happen in for a little while um, after that. <laughs> like some damage was done and their relationship probably suffered for a little bit. And this is the pattern of guilt and shame. We do something that hurts someone and so we hide, we get caught, we blame others and then when we blame, we don't take responsibility for the pain of our actions and so our relationships suffer because people can see right through us. It is as predictable as the sun coming up tomorrow and many of us have been stuck in this pattern of guilt and shame for far too long. And it doesn't just break your heart doesn't just break the heart of those who know you and love you and care for you. It breaks God's heart too because he never intended you to live in that guilt. Fortunately, God has given us a better way and that's a way, just like forgiveness heals anger, it is a way that is difficult and painful. It requires us to humble ourselves, but it is the only way to heal. God's cure for a guilt-ridden heart is the discipline of confession. Confession. For many of us, the picture that comes to mind when we hear the word confession is a little box you sit in and there's a priest on the other side and we just kind of confess our, our sin and our guilt. And maybe that's the faith tradition that you grew up in. Uh, maybe that's just the perception that you get when you hear confession because of TV or, or movies or, or whatever. But that's not necessarily what biblical confession looks like. It's not a bad thing. Like it's never bad to confess your wrongs to somebody else. But biblical confession actually takes a step further. That we don't just confess it to God. We don't just confess it to someone else. But biblical confession is about confessing to the person that we have hurt. Hey, this is how I hurt you. This is what I did. And I'm sorry. Biblical confession is about reconciling and restoring relationships. And it's really, really hard. Look at James 5 with me. There are so many texts that we could turn to, but I think that this one captures this idea so well. James, he's teaching us how to just live out very practically this faith that we now have in Jesus and how the gospel changes our hearts and our lives and our motives this is what he says in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. There is a humility on the one who is confessing and the one who is receiving the confession. We confess and we pray for each other. Why do we do that? So that you may be healed. You want to heal your heart from guilt starts at confession. Because confession brings our sin into the light. We can no longer hide from it. We no longer isolate ourselves. Confession makes us take ownership of our actions. We stop blaming others and we accept our role in what happened. And confession starts the healing process needed in order for our relationships to recover. 
And they may never fully recover. In fact, sometimes maybe that other person that you hurt had to put some safeguards in place that are healthy for them. And you need to be okay with that because that's what they needed to do because of your actions. But what you need to do is own up to your actions and confess and seek forgiveness. And when you do that, when you have that conversation, healing can begin. See, part of walking with God is making that call that you dread to make. It's setting up that appointment that you know is going to be incredibly awkward. It is writing a letter that you know that you should have written a long, long time ago. It's owning up to your part of the problem and doing everything within your power to make that relationship right again. And it's so hard, it's so hard because the fear is that it's not safe or that we won't be loved. But when you take that courageous first step, even if it is just the tiniest of steps, something incredible happens. Through confession, guilt loses its foothold in your heart and the power of sin is broken in your life. Guilt no longer has a hold on your heart and the power of sin is now broken in your life. Sin loves to hide in the darkness. It flourishes in isolation. And these two things become breeding ground for guilt. But when we bring it into the light through the power of confession, God frees us from the bondage of our sins and our relationships can begin to heal. In fact, the truth is you confessing your sin to the person that you hurt with your actions, that might very well be the exact thing that they need to hear in order to start their healing process. You owning your junk might be what they need to stop being consumed by anger. And so humble yourself, admit your wrongs and seek restoration because it might be the very thing that not only not only breaks you from the bondage of your guilt, but also releases them from their bondage of anger. So here's the question that we are all dreading, but it needs to be asked. Who do you need to call today? Who do you need to call today? Who, not, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. We've probably all been in that game before. We're like, oh yeah, I know I need to do. I know I need to do. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow turns into a week. A week turns into a month and then years go by and you still are wrestling with that guilt. Who do you need to call today? Who do you need to write a letter to? Who do you need to ask to go to coffee with you? Who have you hurt and feel guilty for what you've done and you need to confess your wrong to? Who is that person on your mind right now that you are going, oh Lord, no, anybody please but them. <laughs> and my guess is that God put that person on your heart for a reason. And it might be scary, it might be the hardest conversation you've ever had, but if you commit to being obedient to God and his word, I guarantee you that God will bless your efforts and you will experience his grace and his freedom and his healing in your heart like you have never experienced before. And for some of us, we know the conversation that we need to have, but unfortunately, we can't have it anymore because that person has passed away. But even for you, in that case, you need to do something with it. 
You can write a letter as if that person was going to read it and you can share that letter with a trusted friend. You can put a seat across from you and and pretend like that person is sitting right there and tell them everything that you need to say. You can go to maybe friends or family members who were hurt indirectly by your actions and apologize to them for what it is that you've done. Do whatever you need to do because as someone once said, splinters, secrets are like buried splinters. The best thing to do is get them out. Otherwise, the wound gets infected. Now listen, I've got five and a six-year-old girls. Um, I know how traumatic splinters can be. (laughs) I know the pain and the anguish and the tears that they bring. Man, it's a serious life event. (laughs) But as parents, we know the truth is if we don't get that thing out, it's only gonna be more painful. It's only gonna do more damage. So we've got to pull these splinters out if we wanna heal. You know, the truth is is that our hearts are infected by the guilt and shame of our sin and the only one who can truly heal our hearts is Jesus. That is his domain and only he can do something about that hurt. Jesus bore the weight of our sin on the cross so that we could be in right relationship with God. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Romans 5, 1. And Paul tells us that through one sacrifice, through the cross of Christ and our faith in that, we are now justified and at peace with God. Every wrongdoing that we've ever done, every sin that we have ever committed against God, against others, we are now justified just as if we have never sinned at all and we are at peace with God, not because of what we have done, but because of what God did through his son, Jesus. This vertical relationship between you and God, you place your faith in Jesus, you're good. But now we need to allow that vertical relationship to influence our horizontal relationships and we need to go and confess to others and do the hard work of reconciliation. And man, let me share one more with you. Just a few chapters later, Romans 8, 1, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that weight of condemnation where you just walk through and man, Satan's just piling on your shoulders and you feel like you can't do anything right. There is nothing good in you. That's condemnation. Condemnation is broad. It's like a shotgun approach. It just takes you out. The conviction from the Holy Spirit, that is a gift from God. It is a rifle that goes right to the heart of the issue that we need to address and that we need to deal with. And so that conviction that God is maybe putting on your heart right now that you need to do something with, man, trust that is from the Lord And do something with it because it is his grace in your life leading you towards repentance, towards confession, and towards reconciliation. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, like this new life and this freedom, I'm telling you, it can be yours today. The first and the most important confession that you will ever make is to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to be baptized into him just like we saw earlier in this service today. Let him remove the splinters of your guilt and your shame from your heart and allow him to heal your relationship with God and with others. Wherever you are in your faith journey today, let today be the day that you trade in your guilt for God's grace. 
He's given it to you freely. And he's inviting you to walk into it with him. Would you stand with me? And I'll close this off with prayer. God, I am amazed by your grace and by your love for a sinner like me. I am thankful that you pursue relationship with us. You beckon us and call us through your Holy Spirit to give more and more of ourselves to you. And when we do, God, you take that and you heal not just our relationship with you, but our relationship with others. And so, Lord, may you give us the courage and the faith to take that next step that we need to take to reconcile the relationships that we've done harm to because of our, relation, our actions. Give us the courage to do that, Lord. And may we see your hand at work as we do. Father, for the person that's in here today that is carrying the weight of their guilt and shame, may today be the day that they leave that baggage behind and they start following you and can experience the grace and the freedom that is only found in Jesus. May we all experience that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.